This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Hammond. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. Hello. Hey, Hammond. How are you? Yeah. Eh, listen, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about, but why don't we start with the saddest of the news? Mm-hmm. Um, we lost James Randi this week, and I mean, he was 92 years old, so it mm-hmm. wasn't a shock. It was just yet another sad thing to happen in a year that already sucks for so many other reasons. Yeah. But I don't know. I know... Um, We've both had the chance to go to the amazing meeting, which is mm-hmm. the conference his uh, nonprofit organization had put on for many years. And I would love to hear any thoughts you have about those events or him, because we both had the the chance to meet the guy. Yeah, um, this sucks. Like you said, it's not wholly unexpected, but but it's still tragic. Also, it's a lesson that I should never try to have fun because last time um, I went downstate, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and then on Wednesday or whenever, I was having outdoor drinks with some friends and James Randi died, so I guess that's on me. Stop having fun. Just for people who don't know, like, Randy's so, been a, he's been an illusionist. He was... Uh, I'm trying to summarize a life that was huge. But if you're not familiar with him, the few kind of highlights for people who are only have a passing knowledge of him is that he spent decades showing people that psychics and people who claim to have psychic powers or special mm-hmm. supernatural powers, he would take it seriously enough to say, I'm going to show you how they do the tricks because mm-hmm. I want you to be able to catch on to this. But hey, if someone has psychic powers, I'm all ears. Like, yeah. prove it. I'll give you money. Right. So he was um, he was a Canadian-born uh, magician. He was very much considered the, the Houdini of his generation. He was an extraordinarily talented escape artist, um, sleight-of-hand magician, all that stuff. Um, and as he got into magic more he sort of started noticing that um, there was a difference between what he did, which was illusions and, and sort of everybody goes in thinking we're all going to be entertained by these tricks. Because uh, we know it's a trick. We because just we know, know it's a trick. It's we're consenting, right? Yeah. Um, and then the opposite side of that is people who are using the same methods that he's using to profit, you know, profit themselves, harm other people. So he... He never liked the term debunker, um, but because he really, I think he thought himself as like a truth seeker, which I, I think, I, I think inarguably he was. Um, so throughout his his very long and very storied life, he w- became this icon of of skepticism. So um, famously, he was a great friend of uh, uh, Johnny Carson. And would go on his show a lot and do his his tricks. And then um, Yuri Geller was a spoon bender at all. And he would go on all these sh- in the 70s. You have to see the... First of all, see, watch the documentary, An Honest Liar. I checked it's on Prime. 
Um, it is an incredible documentary in and of itself. And it also tells a, a truly amazing story about this guy and it takes twists and turns. Um, but Yuri Geller would be like, oh, I have psychic power and I can do X, Y, and Z. Amazing um, that he had the ability to do supernatural things with his mind. And his big thing was like, I can bend spoons. Mm-hmm, yeah, like, that's what that's we're all... the most useful trick ever. Right. And so they would bring on both Randy and and uh, Yuri Geller. And Randy would literally just be like, hey, if I do this, can you still do your trick? And he's like, oh, I don't know. My psychic strength got sapped or whatever. <laughs> so he did that, like, little, not little, but, like, relatively small with, things uh, like that. Christian minister Peter Popoff that I always loved. The where Peter he... Popoff video is, oh, so I, if you are an atheist or a skeptic and you haven't seen the P- Peter Popoff video, go stop this podcast. Go yeah. watch it. It is absolutely incredible. This is a guy who does faith healing stuff. So he's walking around this auditorium, this church full of all these people saying like, you're going to get healed of this and that. And I mm-hmm. know your health history and I know where you live. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you know that? You must have a direct line from God. And really it's an earpiece. And we mm-hmm. can hear what his wife is saying to him because Randy knew how to get that information and what he was doing. Yeah. And, and literally people would, who are coming to these Peter Popoff events would write cards and say, this is my name. This is where I'm from. <laughs> and this is what I'm hoping to be healed of. And uh, Popoff's wife would be in like a control room and just fucking read these cards to him and be like, okay, this woman's name is Sarah Paulson. I don't know why the actress Sarah yeah, Paulson It's not there, even but- a hot reading or a cold reading. It's like, it's not even like um, a, John Edward right. Ron Prague, where it's like, I'm going to take the cues you give me to mm-hmm. get closer to the right answer. He's just being fed the information. It is one step further than a hot reading. It's not just like somebody did research and then like is kind of taking some swings. It's literally somebody saying like, hey, Sarah Paulson, the famous actress, you're here and your knee always hurts. Um, I'm going to cure you of that. And like, lo and behold. So there's that. There's the Alpha Kids project where he basically fucked with the CIA um, in an amazing way. I, I just can't recommend the, the documentary enough. My personal experience um, with him is I, I, my now husband and I went to two amazing meetings in 2013 and 14, I think. They were in Las Vegas. The second one, that's where Mikey proposed to me. It was a really, really special place to us. We met people we are still very close with to this day. Um, and uh, personally, I got to interview him twice. I chatted with him twice. Um, or not twice. I chatted with him a few times. Um, his, his husband, Davey, um, was very, he was one of the people who was there when, when Mikey and I got engaged. Sorry. Shut Good up, memories Dottie. for Dottie. Good memories. Yeah, Dottie. Can you shut Dottie up, Mikey? <laughs> um, but like the day we got engaged, we, uh, we went and, ran into him and said, Hey, we just got engaged. And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a minister. What's it called? Um, celebrant. Yeah. I'm a celebrant. I can just marry you right now. And like, (laughs) it was like a cartoon that I was like, okay. And Mikey was like, no. So anyway, um, he, a truly kind person remembered me, um, uh, from time to time. Um, I have, Two, I have a video and there's an episode of this podcast um, from 2014 that uh, that I interviewed um, Randy and 
somebody else whose name is escaping me. Um, I think it was the magician Banachek. Banachek. Thank you. It was Banachek. Um, but I just have nothing but glowing things to say about him as a human being, um, as a, uh, as a contributor to the world of skepticism and atheism. Um, he was kind and generous with his time in my experience. Um, it's, it's, it, this one sucks. This one is, this is the first person that we've lost in like the quote unquote celebrity realm who I had a personal connection with as tenuous as it might've been. Um, it, it, we, we lost a lot. We lost somebody who is talented and, and charismatic and believed so, so much in, in his mission. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it sucks. So I would, Highly recommend if you have access to it this weekend. Um, an honest liar. It would the direct one of the directors, Tyler Meesum, is um, a friend of mine. I was actually just texting with him last night because um, he just did another documentary called "I Want My MTV," which I guess is very good as well. Anyway, I, I it's a true strong bummer. It it feels like I lost you know somebody in my extended circle um, in a way that ha- <clears throat> excuse me hasn't happened before. Um, but I'm I'm deeply saddened. Obviously, he lived a long and extraordinarily full life. Um, so this was not fully, un- you know, wholly unexpected. But it's still, it's still too bad. It feels like the end of an era in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was. Uh, I would only add to that. I there are very few people I can think of in the atheist skeptic realm who not only got who led to an outpouring of support. Like imagine your story, but like with a hundred people saying like he influenced me in this way and that there's not a lot of people who can uh, generate that much Mm -hmm. sort of good, uh, goodwill. Yeah, he was was very much this sort of like, um, like a Forrest Gumpian figure. Yeah, he's he's everywhere. He introduced Penn and Teller to each other, like, like things like that, that he just had his sort of hands um, all over things. Anyway, it's it's um, I, I, I'm truly deeply s- sad about it. It's a different sad than RGB because I don't think the um, the repercussions of his death are nearly as far reaching as hers. But um, yeah, he, he kind of had a chance to retire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it does feel very personal. It feels like I, I, I yeah. lost somebody. So I think I've, I've <laughs> known very few people who have. I mean, I'm trying to think of how many podcasts or vloggers or authors or magicians who launched i wouldn't say necessarily careers because not everyone does it as a career but how many people got inspired to do what they do because either they were inspired by him directly or because the community that he formed with yeah. the amazing meeting and jref and their organization it just spawned it, it gave a place for these people who really cared about uh debunking is the wrong word Mm -hmm. but investigating these things but didn't really have anywhere formal or organized to turn to but they saw that he could do it and they found a like-minded community that was really interested in it and they really got it off the ground i am totally glossing over details that um as i saw some people say who were close to him like no he wasn't perfect he was human and stuff but what he did in his prime what he did career-wise was just so influential to so many people and that i think is 
what I noticed, at least on all of my feeds where people are talking about him, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, the the way <laughs> he's not just reaching like random people. It's random celebrities who would have no other reason to be talking about the same dude in the same way. Yeah, Adam Savage sees him as a huge influence from Mythbusters. Like, it's just uh, so many people who work in in the the industry that surrounds kind of science and skepticism and and mechanics and things like that really really look to him. Um, he was on fucking Happy Days. Like, it just he has the truly the wildest career i the first time i interviewed him he told me all about his relationship with um with johnny carson whom he was really close with um god we didn't even mention his husband who like or i guess i didn't and that way like he had a whole thing the with fact his- that he he came out as gay in 2013 mm-hmm. which would have made him what 85 mm-hmm. <laughs> but he decided not too late i'm still i'm still gonna do it i'm still yeah. coming out and doing it um, but yeah, just an extraordinary life. And uh, if you get a chance, just I mean, if nothing else, just Google his name for not just people's remembrances of him, but to check out the multitude of videos that show what he did. Because if you don't know him, and you're not familiar with him, like imagine the type of <sighs> I feel like we get always very excited when someone's lies get exposed like that's always a catchy form of journalism always um but like he's doing it in a realm people weren't doing it in in a way Mm. people weren't doing it and he was really good at it he knew how to be a showman about it which was awesome he was so so charismatic like there would just be time and tam in general was just like a really meaningful place obviously we got engaged there because we had such an extraordinary experience and just the people there are kind and wonderful and but i just had these memories i've never been to that conference it was in um in las vegas but it's you know a big long hall and then the little breakout rooms and the the big lecture hall but i remember once in a while (laughs) randy would just be walking around he would just start doing some close-up magic and he would just have this like herd of people just sort of walking around like you know following him around watching him like just do and probably not even like that sophisticated tricks it was just such a joy to watch him work and he it's a cult of personality minus all the bad stuff about a cult it absolutely (laughs) is a cult of personality he is a person who who drew interesting and bright people to him um and and kept that close uh it's (sighs) it sucks this week sucks this year fucking blows um what type of story do you want? I got others. Oh, my God. Um, give me something sad. I want to lean into this funk I'm in. Sure. Um, I- I'm debating which one. Let's talk about... There's so uh, many options. There are. There really are many options here. Um, this one is expected, to say the least. We've talked a few times about Pastor John MacArthur. He is the pastor of Grace Community Church in California. He is a guy who demanded California allow his church to open back up uh, without social distancing, without requiring face masks. When he did that in defiance of local ordinances, he bragged to his congregation, who were packed in like sardines. He said, quote, the good news is you're here, you're not distancing, and you're not wearing masks. He also said in August, quote, there is no pandemic. And he's still in a legal battle with the state of California, uh, locally anyway, about the ordinances that won't allow him to 
hold super spreader events. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Tell me, Hammond. Guess. Oh, uh, everybody who attended that thing has COVID and is dead now. At least three people have now had confirmed cases of COVID that are traced back to his church. How now, I know that, that sounds small. That is this week that they now oh. have traced it back to his church. But that's three people. Mm-hmm. We don't know how wide the spread is because I doubt the church is exactly helping out with all this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, um, and the county said we can't, like, they didn't provide any details about whether these are staffers or worshipers. Mm -hmm. But again, if you have hundreds, if not thousands of people at a packed church event, and a couple of those people have tested positive, odds are this is going to go much bigger than that. Yeah, and I not and, long. It won't take long to find out just how damaging it is. And I always think it's really important to to remember and to bear in mind that these things are it's three people that we know of who attended it, but like the way this thing spreads is it, it, it's orders of magnitude. Like there there is always this keeps coming up there's a story in like Maine or something like that and somebody had a 30 person wedding and like 75 people have gotten COVID as a result yeah. of that wedding there, because it's not just the people who are there. It's you go home and hang out with your fam. I don't have this in front of me, but just today uh, in North Carolina, in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, sorry if I got that wrong, but basically there was a church there that held some multi-day uh, convocation of sorts that brought in people from different states. And they that event appears to have been the cause of, I believe the number now is 82 positive cases. Mm-hmm. It is a super it's the largest super spreader event in the county and the county even said, "Hey, if you guys are holding this event which apparently was legal but still stupid, uh they said we can do testing for you." And the church said no. There are 82 positive cases, <sighs> three three deaths so far. And counting, again, uh, the ar- I read one article that was from Wednesday of this week that said 68 cases. And then the next day, the county health board was like, sorry, we got an update for you. It's 82 now. Mm. Right? So these things happen fast and they always center around these types of churches, which mm-hmm. surprise, it's not Christian persecution to say you also cannot have large indoor gatherings without masks. Right. Um, but while we're talking about that subject, this weekend, Sean Foyt, whose name I was told on Twitter rhymes with exploit, <laughs> is holding a, another concert. This is the guy who's been holding concerts throughout the country, calling them like worship events, protest events. And so he brings brave. together oh, all so brave, people. Heaven. Yeah, he's holding one, I believe, is it this weekend? I believe it's this weekend. Cool. Um, It's in Washington, D.C. on the National Mall, and he is expecting there to be 15,000 people. And again, uh, at least 7,000 have signed up. All of that is like, we're talking Facebook signups. Who knows how many people will actually be there? But... You're going to a city that has had super spreader events that is in uh, jeopardy of losing uh, against the virus. And this guy's going to come there and hold like the biggest uh, rally of all. And again, there, there's nothing much you can do because 
Washington, D.C. has restrictions, but the National Mall, which I believe is run by the federal government, does not have those same restrictions. Like, and the National Park Service does not say, like, they have they have suggestions for what you could do, mm-hmm. but they don't have any requirements or conditions for the permit. They can't say, we're not allowing you to have a permit for this event unless right. everyone's socially distanced and wearing masks. They can enforce that. So it's like, all right, I guess you can have it. The only thing they can stop, uh, the permit says the National Park Service reserves the right to basically revoke this permit should it responsibly appear that the public gathering presents a clear and present danger to public safety, good order, or health. But if you can't do it, if you can't say that right now, knowing what they're going to do, I'm not sure what's going to happen when the event starts. Like, nothing is going to change. We know what they're going to do. You know what this whole thing has been making me think of lately is, you know, that old, that adage that we hear a lot as atheists of like, well, if it weren't for my religion, you know, why would I not murder somebody? Like that's where I got my morality from. And honestly, I'm kind of seeing that play out right now of like most, and it's obviously not delineated along like religious lines, but most people I know are doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And they're trying to protect people and, People who, but there are other, they're clearly people who, unless somebody tells them, or even if, even if they do tell them, like, they're gonna do whatever the fuck they want, and, and unless yeah. there's like actual consequences. So maybe those people should be religious and let God tell them not to murder people because now I don't trust them to not murder people without God. I just wanna tell them, guess what? Just, you don't have to vote, just pray it. Just pray for it to happen, yep. have faith. Don't worry about it. Stay home. Uh, do you remember not- when we were younger? Do you remember push bracelets? Which They're like the second the follow up to what would Jesus do bracelets? Push. Was, oh, I don't think I remember that. Push was pray until something happens, and I remember oh, being thirteen and saw that and was like, "That can't be good advice." <laughs> <laughs> until something happens, eventually, <laughs> then so you could take famous. all the credit you want. Yeah, let's talk about Pope Francis. So, mm, oh yeah, I forgot about this. This week, a documentary came out about Pope Francis. Uh, it's basically about his life and ministry. It's called Francesco, and it's a lot of the filming, uh, like the interviews they have and the uh, footage that they're using, is a little older. It turns out there's one footage from 2019 in which Pope Francis says he's fine with legal civil unions for same-sex couples. What he said in the film, uh, this is what he says, homosexuals have a right to be a part of the family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or made miserable because of it. What we have to create, what we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. I stood up for that. That's what the Pope says in this movie. I should say, in this interview... The Vatican actually released it in 2019, but they apparently cut out that footage. Oh. And the people making this documentary got a hold of the raw interview. Mm-hmm. So this they realized, I guess, that this was not in that footage. And hey, this is kind of interesting because obviously the Catholic Church opposes same-sex marriage. They oppose same-sex acknowledging same-sex marriage or relationships like their basic stance is you can be gay, but the second you act on it, you've done something wrong. 
And here's the Pope saying, well, if you're legally covered by a civil union, I'm cool with that, which is a different, which is very different from saying the church is going to welcome you, I should say. Yeah. I mean, I I think the bar for the Catholic Church doing the right thing is on the ground. And Pope Francis cleared it, but he tripped on it on the way. Like, (laughs) he technically did the right thing for for his position and for the the history of the Catholic church that he has to contend with for a church. That's like hundreds of years behind right. the times. This is only like 20 or 30 years behind the times. So yeah. it's progressive in that sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to think about things like this. Like, yeah, that he's moving in the right direction, right? Like he's going towards well, the conclusion we want, but at the same so this time, is what's interesting. Like, is it? Cause I think this falls along the same line of, I don't care if you're gay. I just care if you act on it. But hey, if you're dating somebody and you want like the legal rights associated with it, I'm not like mad about it, which again, is it a step forward? I guess, but it's not much. I mean, I, it's in the right direction. It's a shuffle I forward. Guess, I feel like this is when he said early in his tenure as Pope, he said of homosexual, was it about homosexuality? I was going to say, I don't think it was about that. But he basically said, who am I to judge? You're the Pope, sir. Yeah, well, and everyone gave him credit for that. You're saying the conduit of God. You're, you're <laughs> the person who should judge. They bent over backwards to say this is like the most progressive Pope. And the truth is like saying you're not going to judge them isn't actually doing anything different. This is the same Pope, by the way, who's when he wasn't a Pope right before that. He said same-sex adoption was a form of discrimination against children. In 2010, before he was Pope, uh, he told religious leaders to pray against the legalization of same-sex marriage in Argentina because, he said, it would seriously damage the family. And obviously, the rule book of the Catholic Church says homosexual acts are intrinsically immoral and contrary to natural law, and homosexual tendencies, in quote fingers, are objectively disordered. The church doesn't even acknowledge trans people. So again, how much credit should anyone give Pope Francis for saying kind of the bare minimum? I don't think it's much. I think it's like surprising, but it's not really saying anything special. What surprised me is how much backlash he got from within the church. Oh, Oh, man, let me read you a couple really quick ones. Here is one cardinal, Raymond Burke. Uh, He said, the particular and sometimes deep-seated tendencies of persons, men and women, in the homosexual condition, which are for them a trial, although they may not in themselves constitute a sin, represent nonetheless an objectively disordered inclination, which is a long way of saying, if you're gay, there's something wrong with you. That's what his response was to the Pope saying, all right, if you want legal rights, fine. Um, There's another bishop, Thomas Tobin, who is very anti-gay, who basically said, I don't care what the Pope said, it contradicts what the church teaches, Mm because who knows about the church less, more, (laughs) no, like the Pope. Yeah. Even Franklin Graham, who is not Catholic, got mad about it, saying no one has the right or the authority to trivialize Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. As if Pope Francis just ruined religion. Like, that's our job, damn it. Yeah, I feel like this is a conversation you and I have about once a month about 
is does incremental change warrant praise? And I feel like you and I always land on the opposite side of this. <laughs> every time I'm like, yes, it is not enough. Yes, like they need to do much more. Yes, they are still absolutely damaging many, many, many people. But it's further to our ideals than they were before. And I think that, and it made Franklin Graham mad, which is always. Yeah, which is definitely, you get a bonus point for that. Like I'm, I think I'm always going to be on the side of like, yeah, he, I, I think the Catholic church is still a monstrous organization, but like trying to nudge them toward the 21st, toward the 20th century is, is, some kind of progress. It's not I everything. I think in this case, to take we need to take the victories once in a while, Hammett. Sure. I I think my only difference in this case is I I just don't want him getting credit for something he didn't actually do. And so, fine if he said he supports legal civil unions, no matter what the church thinks about it. Okay, fine. Let's not pretend. And this is this is a reaction I feel like I've seen a lot this week. Let's not pretend he's saying he's fine with it, or that the Catholic Church is okay with gay couples or anything like that. Don't give him more credit than he deserves. He deserves very little. That's all. Let's just not try to exaggerate what he actually did. Yeah, so, no, that's as long as that's fair. the case. Yeah, but and, and isn't it kind of wild that we live in a time that the Pope has been? You know, the Pope is the Pope is the Pope, right? No matter if it's the 16th century or the 21st century. And I feel like, and maybe I don't know Catholic history as well as I should, but it seems to me that the Pope saying something and a bunch of Catholics being like. Mm, no, thank you. It's probably not sort of the way the whole thing is set up, right? Like, yeah. isn't he infallible? Um, only in, when it comes to certain proclamations that he makes in an official capacity, him giving an interview and saying something, that is not part of the infallible uh, rules. So he's allowed to say like two plus two is five in an interview and that's not going to change anything. But if he issues an actual written document, that's the sort of thing that's meant to be that is included in the infallibility bubble. Can the title of this episode be limited infallibility? Because I really like that. And that might be my next <laughs> name. <laughs> I will think about it. Yeah. I, if I can remember. I guess. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they divide the man from his, from his, I don't know. It doesn't listen. Believing in somebody being the end all be all conduit of God is weird enough as it is. And then adding on the fact that like maybe he doesn't isn't always right from a Catholic perspective. I'm like, okay, then what are we doing here? Then what's the point of any of this? Yeah, why why even bother having a Pope if he doesn't get to speak for the Catholic Church? Right. <laughs> um, let me okay, this story fascinated me. Let me tell you a little bit about the Christian Post. If you're not familiar with the Christian media landscape, um, as here's what I can tell you as a blogger. The Christian Post has always been an, a media outlet that sometimes produces original pieces, more often than not, has some people commentating on the news, which is no different than what a lot of other people do. They publish essays from various Christian people, but it does take a conservative Christian tilt. I will say their their news coverage or their uh, using news that is out there and just ex- like Christians explaining it for their audience, it's usually fine. Like they're not lying about it. It's, yep, there's the news. 
Uh, it's their opinion pieces that become very conservative and usually are the focus of my interest. Because like, oh, wow, one of you said this. Yikes. Um, it's a conservative media outlet. That said, there was a really interesting, very long article by one of their former editors this week. His awesome name is Nap Nasworth. And basically, he spent eight years as an editor, the political editor for the Christian Post. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who started that job when Obama was when Obama was in his first term and left well after Donald Trump was president. And basically, I we wrote about this last year. What happened last year, if you remember, because we talked about this, Christianity Today, the of another evangelical Christian publication, their editor-in-chief at the time put out uh, an essay saying, this is, I think, the day after the House impeached him, but the Senate had not yet taken it up. Mm -hmm. He said, Donald Trump needs to be removed from office. (laughs) And that was like, oh, wow, you're writing that? Like a white evangelical Mm -hmm. like publisher is writing that? Yikes. And it got massive coverage Mm because that's not something you heard very much. So according to Nasworth, the Christian Post said, hmm, we need to publish something as well to jump on this train. But what are they going to write? Because obviously, it's uh, they don't necessarily have the same type of editor-in-chief who speaks for the whole publication, but they do have editors. Mm-hmm. And what they said is, hey, we wrote up this thing promoting Donald Trump. We're supporting him, and we want you to publish it as an editorial, meaning it speaks for the entire editorial board mm-hmm. of which he was on. And he's like, I don't agree with this. <laughs> like, I, he's, he is conservative, right. but he's been very critical of Trump. That doesn't mean he's a Democrat. He's certainly not a progressive. But right. he's like, I have a lot of issues with Trump. And I certainly do not say, like, I'm all in on the Trump train here. Mm-hmm. And they said, but you got to publish it. And he said, no. And ultimately, they're like, well, we're publishing it as an editorial, like, as opposed to one random dude writing an op-ed saying the exact same thing. Right. This is going on under all of our bylines, more or less. It's an editorial. <laughs> so he got upset about this and he had an argument behind the scenes with the other, with his bosses. And ultimately he's like, if you're going to put this out as an editorial, I can't be an editor. Wow. And basically he resigned. So that happened late last year and he's, he's gone off. He's doing other things now. But this week, he posted a long article basically explaining what he dealt with behind the scenes. And he's kind of airing the dirty laundry. So you know I'm all here for this. Always. Let me give you a quick uh, excerpt from this because holy crap. (laughs) Um, uh, This is me reading what he wrote. While most of my time at Christian Post, I could write on the topics I wanted, I recall two separate occasions when I was told I could not criticize prominent evangelical leaders Franklin Graham and Eric Metaxas. Mm-hmm. And this made sense from a business perspective. Graham and Metaxas each have a huge and influential media presence, and their audiences closely overlap with the Christian Post's audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one thing. Here's another thing. Uh, Christian Post was good at reporting on church scandals when it put forth the appropriate effort and resources, but sometimes certain leaders were viewed as off-limits unless the scandal became too big to ignore. There was some squeamishness, for instance, over reporting on Jerry Falwell Jr. scandals, partly because Liberty University was an ad partner. Mm -hmm. 
So it goes on like this for a while and basically says like, look, we're a website that makes money based on how many people click on our stories. It's an mm-hmm. advertising model, which has its upsides and downsides. I I write for a site that works just like that. I understand how difficult that can be. But when the people who pay for your advertising get to basically dictate indirectly what your coverage is and what the angles are, you've kind of lost the independence you need as a journalist to have any sort of credibility. And so it was fascinating to watch him try to navigate this because one, it's a job. You can't fault the guy for wanting to keep his job. But at the same time, when you're publishing a variety of perspectives, even if they're conservative, mostly in nature, and some of the stuff you put out is laughably bad, to say, hey, this is going out under your byline in a sense, like you support this, he finally decided, I can't do that. Uh, Mm. So good for him for walking away. Good for him for telling the actual story, which is a big deal. And uh, honestly, uh, we'll have a link to his story on the website. If you care about this stuff, I urge you to read it. It was Mm. published at a website called Arc Digital. It's a long one, but man, it was. I started reading that thing and I could not stop reading it because it just kept going. And I'm like okay, wow, this is what it's like to work at a conservative Christian news outlet during the Trump era. Because what happens when he does child separation policies or the racism stuff? And it's like, well, you have to criticize him. Even as a conservative Christian, you have to criticize him on Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. right? And even then, there was occasionally pushback, even on those simple like moral issues. Yeah. Say what you will about the right and specifically the Christian, right. But man, they know how to close ranks. (laughs) Like God, they will do anything to like toe the company line. Right. Yeah. What, what, I mean, I, there was a joke during the Obama era where I've seen sketches. They made fun of it on Saturday night live. They had a whole sketch where they asked like two fictional black professors uh, what would it take for Barack Obama to lose your support? And the whole joke was he could do quite literally anything and they would never leave his side, which was funny mostly because he doesn't do crazy shit. Right. <laughs> and so, of course, they're not going to leave his side. But now it's what can Donald Trump do that would make white evangelicals run away from him? And I know we've talked about he's dipping even in that demographic by a couple of points from where he was in 2016, but we'll see what happens. But it seems like nothing he's done in four years has given white evangelicals any real pause at reelecting him. They're just either they are fine with it and they totally support it, or mm-hmm. they're just not bothered by anything. The racism, the sexism, the bigotry, the incompetence, they just don't care which tells you more about their values than his presidency. Yep. <laughs> I had a good story for you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. It's nothing important. Go ahead. I had an actual good story for you. Oh. You remember the Duggar family. Oh, God. I, don't, I hate talking about the Duggar family. But wait. It's a good story. Okay. So we know the conservativeness. They're conservative Christians. They're the stars of the show, 19 Kids and Counting, or whatever the number got to at some point. Mm-hmm. Um. And obviously, Josh Duggar got in a lot of trouble because we found out he sexually abused his siblings for a while. Mm -hmm. And then the show disappeared and there were some offshoots. And I don't know who watches this stuff still, but there you go. But this week in People Magazine, there was an article featuring one of the daughters who was in, I believe, one of the spinoff shows, uh, Jill. Jill Duggar, her name is now Jill Dillard. They all have J names. I forgot about that. They all have J names, yes. 
And one of the things that's been interesting, so someone sent me a video clip of this three weeks ago before this People magazine came out, and it was her and her husband, and they're just talking uh, in the camera. This is for just a YouTube channel. And one of the things they were saying, and I think it was casual conversation, I don't know that they expected to make news about this or anything, is she said that when they were on the show, obviously, even though it's a family and stuff, they are all paid as individuals to be on the show. And she said she had not been paid for her appearances, at least for a segment of time, though she admitted, like, I got plenty of other perks when you're on TV and you have this stuff, like they might let you in places that you wouldn't otherwise get into, whatever. So she did have those perks. But she said she was not paid for her appearances. And it took a lawyer to help her and her husband, and I'm quoting here, recover a portion of what she was owed. And that was interesting. It's like, oh, look, there's some friction we didn't necessarily know about. But they also said um, that they, uh, I don't know if they said this in the video, but she said this publicly, like they started using birth control. They started wearing, I wouldn't say anything scandalous, but wearing revealing clothes, as in like shorts, I don't know. Uh, she she'll uh, take an occasional drink or a glass of wine. She'll wear jeans, which is weird for a Duggar. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like she has a nose ring. This is like conservative girl scandalous, right? Um, and so one of the things that appeared in this People magazine piece is saying basically that even at the cost of alienating their hardcore fans, and even at the cost of maybe distancing or upsetting their own parents they've actually started walking away from some of the conservative parts of their family. They, She said in the interview, and I'm quoting, our control to choose what jobs we were allowed to accept and even where we were allowed to live was taken away from us when they were part of the show and doing all that stuff. And now, the People Magazine article said, they have begun to embrace a life without some of the many rules she was raised to strictly adhere to. So to me, this is like the the Pope article again. It's like, okay, I know where you come from. You are taking small steps. But in this case, I agree with you. Like this one, I'm all in. Like good for you for taking small steps in a direction of some independence. I don't really care as long as she's okay with her choices. Like as long as you're happy, I don't care. But she is taking conscious steps away from that conservatism. And that's... That's got to be hard to do when you're someone like her in the public eye. So good for that. I mean, I hope it continues. I don't care. It's none of my business, but I appreciate that she's actually speaking out about it. Right. Do yeah. you know what? Interesting. Do you know what will happen if Joe Biden wins? Oh, um, I don't know. I might feel optimism again. Uh, no, you still won't. It'll okay. still be bad. Mm-hmm. But according to televangelist Frank Amadia, If Joe Biden wins, um, all sexual preferences will leave. Um, And he said, this is, I'll keep going here. He said, this is about morality. And if Joe Biden wins, and I'm going to quote now, wait until animalism becomes acceptable and somebody can marry a cow and have perverse sex with them. Sorry. I think I'm laughing. That's what's going to come is he pretending this is a new argument they've been saying this ever since like 
fucking gay people existed. Yeah, like basically if liberals get to control the law, then it's not going to stop at same-sex anything or transgender rights. It'll keep going forever, slippery slope. My favorite part of his comment is the idea somebody can marry a cow and have perverse sex with them as if there is some type of sex you can have with a cow that would not be perverse. (laughs) He would be fine with that. What he really has a problem with is perverse sex. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I did. I will admit, I did not know this was a part of the liberal agenda. No one told me. Yeah, just, sometimes if you'd like skip a meeting and all of a sudden everything like really gets away from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and wow. I, I kind of laughed at the idea that you think Demo- that he thinks Democrats are so so magically progressive in all these ways that they'll get this much shit done to the point where animalism comes up on the agenda. Like we can't get the Supreme court fixed right now with Democrats in charge. They're afraid of saying, let's expand the court, but you think they're going to be cool with cow sex. I remember a few years back. I want to say it was Alex Jones, but I could be wrong had this whole rant and he said it in the style of a rant of like, this is the, the, the words I'm saying are supposed to be bad. You can tell by my tone, but literally <laughs> I was like, here's the thing that I figured out about liberals is you can do anything you want. As long as both parties consent, can you believe <laughs> that you can tie somebody up or you can have anal sex as long as both people consent, there's no rules. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Yes, I, I I hear your tone. I hear that you're trying to say it like it's a bad thing, but you figured it out. You cracked our code. <laughs> Is, you mean if everyone's okay with it, you could do it? What? Well, and like that's why I think it's so funny. I think it's so funny that like the right thinks quote unquote consent is like this weird liberal buzzword, but like well, I mean, but that's the reason that most people don't have sex with animals is they can't consent or have right. children who can't right. consent. Like yeah, consent is super important. So, anyway. They should, they should learn something about it. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was an article in The Atlantic this week by Peter Weiner, who has written a lot. He's a Republican, former Republican maybe, one of those, uh, but who has experience with Republican politicians and everything. And he's been doing a lot of writing about what white evangelicals specifically stand to lose because of their alliance with Donald Trump. And so uh, I think a couple months ago, uh, he wrote about the moral last year, uh, the more I'm sorry, last over the summer, the moral rot of white evangelical Christianity. But this week he wrote a new article that basically asked this question, what have conservative Christians lost by allying themselves with Trump. Mm -hmm. And his answer is basically, it's a hell of a lot. Part of it is, I'm quoting here, Trump's evangelical supporters have forfeited the right to ever again argue that character counts in America's political leaders. Wow, I could not have said that better. Yeah, and by the way, we're seeing this in North Carolina. There's a really tight Senate race between the incumbent Republican Tom Tillis And a Democrat, very centrist, moderate Democrat, Cal Cunningham, who got caught earlier this month basically having an extramarital affair. And in any other world, political world, in the past, that might have been the death sentence for his political campaign. And the truth is, nothing's budged. He is as ahead by a small amount right now as he was earlier in the month, if not a little higher. And basically, the thinking, like the reaction seems to be from his his supporters, 
Yeah, I don't love it, but that's a private issue that he better deal with. But also Tom Tillis supports Trump and that's a disaster. Like that's an existential threat. So you think I'm going to get worked up over someone's personal foibles? Like whatever, let him deal with that. Um, And that I feel like in the past that never would have happened. They wouldn't have overlooked that so easily. But when the other side is running on Trumpism, like what are evangelicals going to say? Oh, this person's character is bad or this person did something immoral like are you kidding me the trump people are saying something immoral um he goes on to say uh this is peter writing in the atlantic this is the part i had not given much thought about but the problem goes far beyond an inconsistent application of a biblical ethic what the trump years have exposed is something more fundamental which is that many evangelical christians have not brought anything distinctively Christian to politics. And that, to me, is a huge thing. Like, okay, now you have Trump in office. You have Pence in the White House. You have this coterie of white evangelicals, conservative Christians, and Catholics surrounding you. How is our country better as a result? How are we more of a quote-unquote Christian nation and I mean, good luck finding anything you want to point to that says we're all better off because Christians are running the show. And that's exactly the thing. They keep saying, put us in power. We need a Christ- We need Christians running for office. Well, you have them. You're in power right now. They're running the Republican Party in the Senate. And what happens as a result? Nothing. Nothing good for sure. Well, here's the thing. I have a couple thoughts on this. First of all, like I had the exact same thought from 2016 to 2018 of like, all right, Republicans, you've got the White House, you've got the Senate, you've got the House. Like, okay, this is this is your moment to like save us the way you've been saying for a long time. Um, and obviously nothing came of that except for like a tax cut for rich people. Right. But I, I would posit that one of the reasons, like the, it's really easy to, to kind of save a rattle and say that like, we need more Christians in this because we need to do whatever. But the reality is when your base is one of the most populous, certainly the loudest and most privileged group of people in our country, there isn't a whole lot more you can do for them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. best case scenario, what, what could they have expected to happen, quote unquote, for Christian people? You know what I mean? Like we already have God in the Pledge of Allegiance, already a huge outsized majority of of representatives are Christian and male and white. Like you already have everything. So if you're like, okay, once Trump gets in office, he's going to quote unquote fix everything. What's there to fix? You have everything you've ever wanted. Yeah. believe I like, and pretending like when they cite their victories, their victories are like, you can say Merry Christmas. Now we always could you idiots. So wild the way they cling to shit like that. That's like, what do, because what what we see time and time again is that Christians aren't satisfied with being able to live their own life the way they want to, which not a lot like not everybody in the country has that right. We can look at like the queer population, we can look at trans people. They do not necessarily have the right to live their life the way they want in all places because of Christians. But so when you have everything and then you gain control of the game, the only thing you can do is force your beliefs on other people. And Americans tend to not take kindly to that. So they, they'd already reached the top of the mountain, so to speak. And then they're trying to like 
climb a ladder to get slightly higher. It's like, what, what else do you want? What else do you want? You have fucking everything. You have control of everything. Every president has been Christian. Every like, it's just dumb. I know I've said this. I know I've said this before, but as much as I want the Republican Party to just kind of die out after Trump, if we're lucky, I I hope he drags white evangelical Christianity or at least the the moral superiority they like to pretend they have. I hope they destroy that myth, too, because it's always been true that they say they're the moral majority and they're not either one of those things. But I hope people recognize that whenever you think of white evangelical Christianity or evangelical Christianity, or honestly, even Christianity at this point, I think what's going to happen for a while to come is that for a lot of people, especially young people, they will not think about Jesus. Mm -hmm. They will think about Trump. And that is something those people are going to have to deal with for who knows how long to come. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot of like, whether it's this January or whether it's years from now, at some point, Trump is going to be out of office, right? Like he's not, you know, he's not a king. He's going to to step away from office or he's going to fucking die. What and, and we're obviously not political analysts, so maybe we're not the people to ask this question. But like, what does a 2024 election look like from the Republicans? Because they have hinged their entire party, their entire party on whatever the fuck Trump, like literally their like platform this year was like, I don't know, what does Trump want to do? Like that's genuinely all it was. So. I mean, it looks like it'll be Trumpism, but minus the insanity aspect, like it'll be Mike Pence, which says everything Trump says, but does it in a slightly more boring way? Personality no, that Trump Pence doesn't. Interested in Nikki Haley, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, all those people who are super conservative. Oh, they have their bases. And if you just say yeah. I support all of the Trump policies, but I'm not like tweeting insane. I can write in complete sentences when I'm p- promoting anti-democracy. I, mean, I have a very hard time picturing a Republican party that is so like obsessed with this alpha male figure turn over to like Mike Pence, who is like sheepish at best or like a Nikki Haley, who's like charismatic and bright, but she's a Brown woman. Like, is that? No, that's why they like her even more because that lets them have a shield. Then they can be super bigots. I think you mean like the people who are in power in the Republican party like her. And I think you're right because of that. But like, are the, you know, 60-something white dudes who live in Wisconsin or Southern Illinois or whatever, are they going to, like, cling to Nikki Haley as their savior the way they do Trump? Is she going to bring back political incorrectness? Or I, I don't know. I just don't see anybody capturing. I'll tell you what. In Michigan, maybe the closest Senate race for Democrats that they're afraid of right now in Michigan is Gary Peters, the incumbent, one of the seats Democrats need to protect against this charismatic young black guy named John James, who is everything Trump wants. And he's this like good looking younger black guy. If James wins that Senate race, beats an incumbent Democrat, regardless of what happens with the whole Senate, if that guy wins, that's a very likely candidate for 2024 in the sense that he gives them protection against some of these criticisms you have against Trump, sure. uh, you in general, like have against Trump. And I that's why Nikki Haley strikes me as someone Republicans could very easily nominate because all the 
racist people we can point to, they would just say, we can't be racist. Look who we support. Sure. Because the issue isn't the person. It's the systemic issues that underlie it. No one, like even Republicans aren't coming out and saying like, yep, I'm part of the KKK. No, it's other ways they promote racism without overtly saying it. Mm -hmm. And having a candidate I mean, having Sarah Palin as John McCain's running mate gave him a chance to say, see, we're not anti-woman nominating Amy Coney Barrett. It's like, see, we don't hate women. It's like, no, you do. You just chose someone who also hates women. Yeah, internalized policy is a hell of a thing. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, that's where I think they're going to go in the future because it's like they're losing their base. They're, they got to expand it at some point. Mm-hmm. And if they, dec- if they don't have another uh, Trump-ish person waiting at the helm they'll just get someone who blunts a lot of the criticism against them that and that scares me because i think one thing we've learned from 2016 and even now it's that you can dupe a hell of a lot of americans by just it's so easy to dupe them trump still has 40 45 percent support of the country and we've seen what he's done i think closer to 30 35 i mean he 45 oh isn't no, it's higher. I don't know what his approval rate is, but how many people will actually vote for him? It's higher. Oh, I see, man. Yeah. And so if Trump can pull that off, imagine someone who doesn't alienate as many people because he's stupid. Like if you just have some like moderation in how insane you are publicly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen I've seen this too. Like imagine if that first debate, he was just calm and normal and said all the same lies and stupid, crazy stuff. But he did it like a normal person. He would be even higher yeah. in the polls than he is now. That's what scares me because it's not hard to push the same awful policies, but be less insane. Sure, sure, yeah. That's, that's what scares. Me. That's um, I have one last story that I wanted to bring up for sure. Um, this this surprise. Uh, okay, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's Christian health insurance companies. They exist. That's a thing. But here's how they operate. And they don't all work the same way. And I need to put health insurance in big quotation marks. But here's kind of how some of these organizations, they're called Samaritan Ministries, Liberty Health Share, those like where we love freedom, that sort of thing. (laughs) What they do is they basically say, um, hey, all of you, we need you to put X amount of dollars in the insurance pool every month, which is normal. But instead of just collecting all the money and then sending it to your healthcare provider, if you're a member and you say, oh, I needed surgery, I need whatever, $5,000 this month because I had the surgery, you tell the company and then they kind they send a letter to all the people in the insurance pool and they say, Jessica needs $5,000 this month. Please send your check to her. And they just coordinate that sort of thing, which is- How big is this system? Uh, they have many, many tens of thousands of people, okay. if not more. I mean, here's the thing. That in itself is not different from regular insurance, except in terms of mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like in theory, I would go to the hospital. The hospital has the bill, but I submit it to the insurance company. They pay the hospital. End of story. In Ideally. Um, but here's the thing about these Christian companies. They don't cover a lot of services. They certainly don't cover services that might be connected to sin. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, that abortion you need, too bad. Oh, you need birth control? Sorry, we're not helping you. Um, If you got something, I don't know, liver disease because you drank a lot, they could just say, nope, we're not helping you with that. (laughs) 
Um, so that's part of the problem. There have been a lot of articles written about people who thought they would get help from these companies. They were paying into the system. And then the companies said no the second they actually needed it. And this week in New York, there was a company called Trinity. I'm sorry. There is a company in New York called Trinity HealthShare. And it is marketed by a company named Aliera. But basically, the state of New York has filed a complaint saying that patients were left with thousands of dollars in unpaid medical bills, and they are now seeking civil penalties and other uh, relief on behalf of consumers. Basically saying, you're not actually providing health insurance, but you are advertising yourself as an alternative to regular health insurance. Mm -hmm. And that is lying to consumers. Like what they're doing is not illegal. But what they're doing by saying, look, this is insurance, wink, wink, is absolutely illegal. Because if you're if you're an insurance company, you need to be regulated. And they're not. And so like they're basically lying to consumers and providing crappy coverage. And then they get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, and they certainly, they know they're tricking people into thinking they have insurance. If you ask people who are part of these exchanges, hey, do you have health insurance? They will tell you yes. Mm -hmm. And the tr fact is they're not. So New York is going after them. I don't know what that'll lead to. But basically these companies, it's not insurance. It's a form of gambling. You're putting in money and you're assuming you're going to get something out on the other side. And the fact is there's no guarantee you're going to get anything. Mm -hmm. So... um this may be the biggest challenge they've had so far. There have been a couple states like Washington state that find one of these companies and banned it in the state. Mm -hmm. um, even Texas banned one of these companies for promoting this as insurance. But New York is the biggest one saying this is fraud. We're going to put a stop to it. So we'll see if that gets anywhere. <sighs> wow. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Um, Cool. I oh, we didn't talk about Pat Robertson. Oh yes, he. Pat we don't have to dig into it. It's most more. Of he his said more. Stu yeah, exactly. Yeah, he said that uh, Trump is going to win. I think God told him uh, Trump will be reelected, and his reelection will bring about the start of end times, which I believe, despite the way it sounds, he's excited about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, at this point, I'm excited about it too. I. <laughs> Let the asteroid come. We deserve it. I'm so tired. I'm so I, yep. exhausted. Just fucking. You know what? If the asteroid comes, it is taking him down too. I mm -hmm. will sacrifice myself. Let's go. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Okay. God, I'm tired. What's it? Noon? Can I go to back to sleep? You can. One Scaramucci left until election day. <laughs> Eleven. Can you fucking believe how close it is? I just... I'm, I'm so ready. I'm Done. So unless, so unless I'm falsely optimistic and then it'll be like, no, go back in time. It, Honestly, it was better. It was better before. Imagine how bad next year is going to be if you're like, can we just go back to March of 2020? Honestly, like, I just... <laughs> at this point, I just kind of want to know either way. Like, I'm very cautiously capital C cautiously optimistic about this election. I am not confident or cocky or, or whatever. But that's good. That's good. We but, were confident and cocky in 2016 oh, and we should boy, not have I been. Even recognize that Jessica. She was an yeah. idiot. Um, <laughs> did I tell you, I think I tweeted about this. I had my, my dad, I think I mentioned my dad a few times on this. 
Um, my dad is a lifelong Republican. He um, has always, always been, you know, he's a rich white guy. So um, he voted for Hillary in, and he lives in Wisconsin, he voted in Hillary in 2016. And then this year he um, is, he phone banked for Biden. He's a poll worker and he texted me the other day and said um, there were two uh, Republicans running unopposed in his county and he didn't vote for either of them. <laughs> so listen, I don't know. Like, cause that's where I was in 2016. Like my dad didn't like Trump. My mother-in-law didn't like Trump, both of whom were like lifelong Republicans. And so I was like, well, you know, these people are logical and reasonable and not monsters. So I guess everybody is, but that was, a joke on me. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just, I, I just feel like I'm in a holding pat, like an emotional holding pattern. You know what I mean? Like I won't let myself feel anything until whenever this gets resolved. I, I really want to go back to a time when I can just be mad at Democrats for not doing enough instead of being mad at everyone else for doing nothing. No, it's just, I, and it's so like, I'll read like old posts that come up on my time hop and I'm like, you know, in 2013, like, oh, this, this is the worst. Republicans are the worst. And I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. You sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, um, someone denied evolution. I know. In exactly. the good old days. Oh, yay, yay. Okay. You're the craziest Republican that ever existed. Yeah, I remember when you <laughs> said that um, women's bodies have a whole way of shutting that thing down if it's legitimate. What was his name? The yeah. rape guy? Todd Aiken in Missouri. Todd Aiken, he was our big bad. Like, I would, yeah. I would trade anybody for Todd Aiken right now on the right. <laughs> anyway. Get a, I, oh, I voted. Um, when did we vote, Mikey? Yesterday? Two days ago? You Two win. Ago? Yeah, we voted. Went at like, 10, like 9.30, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. or thir- uh, Time has no meaning. But we went in the morning. There was basically nobody there. We were in and out really quickly. Um, so I hope everybody votes and all of that stuff. I don't know. Go do it. Don't wait till election day. Do not wait for election day. Do it. Mail your ballot right now. Go drop it off right. Oh, if you got a mail-in ballot and then you go to vote in person, make sure you bring that because we did not. <laughs> um, anyway, um, that's all I have. Do you have anything else for the show? Okay. No. Um, I did want, I, I know I've plugged uh, Cooper Duper, my podcast with my husband, um, where we rewatched Twin Peaks. We're in the dregs of the second season where it's objectively an extremely bad show, but we've had two fun guests on. Uh, Ross Blotcher. What? Mikey says it's not that bad, but he's wrong, is the thing about <laughs> Um uh, we had Ross Blotcher on a couple weeks ago who from Ono, Ross, and Carrie, so he's a fellow skeptic. Um, and then this past weekend, we had Adel Rafai from Hello from the Magic Tavern and um, Hey Riddle Riddle, who is so funny and so kind. And we had a blast recording with him. Um, so that is that was up yesterday. So you can find that now. You can follow me on Twitter um, at Blueberry, B-L-U-E-B-U-R-I-E. Um, I'm at Hemant Meta. Yeah, you can. And- oh, wait, Vamp. I have to get the review. Do it. Do it. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. Leave the review and got it. Atheist.com is the site. Yes. Oh, this is a rough one. Let me see if I can. Oh, oh screw no. that. Okay, this one. No, People, no. Give us good reviews and yeah. drown it out. It's October 10th. It's from 
uh, D-A-H-L-Q-613. Love five stars. I'm listening to old episodes because why not? It's 2020. Episode 250 at an hour 19 just says our RBG is unkillable and it broke me. <laughs> I was really hoping we'd get another review because this one is a strong bummer, like in a good way and a very sad. Ugh. Anyway, thanks for listening to old episodes. That's um, that's a fun use of your time. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, it's all good. We'll have more. Hey, we'll watch the Honest Liar this an Honest Liar this weekend. It's extraordinary. Yeah. It's it's truly a very 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 good movie on top of the subject matter being interesting. So I would highly recommend that. I think that's it. I don't know. See you next week. The pre-election show. Bye. (laughs) Bye.